and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given on Sunday morning, April 3rd, 2022 by Tom Job from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8. I was reading this story about this guy. Um, he was kind of giving us um, a little bit of his testimony to how he was, he was a Presbyterian pastor. And sometimes American Presbyterians and Scottish Presbyterians will do like a summer swap well, they'll, where the pastor of the Scottish church and the pastor of the American church will switch. And so he got to do this. And so he went with his wife and kids to this little town in Scotland. And he was the pastor of this little Scottish church. And it was so cool. And one day, uh, one Sunday, the... Um, there was a policeman in his church, and he told him that the next day, um, Queen Elizabeth, they were going to, Queen Elizabeth was going to come and dedicate the new police station that they had built. And at, at about two o'clock, and if he wanted to come to the center of town, and, or he said, I'll come pick you up, and maybe, you know, you can see the queen. And he thought, okay, try to spend more time learning how to use these tiny washing machines. Go and meet the queen. Try to use these tiny watch machines. Go and meet the queen. I think we're going to go and meet the queen. But there was a guy in his church whose name was Brian Irvine, who was a footballer. Like, he was on the Scottish national soccer team, and he was super famous. And he went to that church as well. So when they got there where the queen was going to come by, um, he came up and greeted them. And he was so pumped to meet the, you know, to, that the pastor was there to meet the queen. And then he, all of a sudden, they said, this big black Bentley drives up and stops and out steps Queen Elizabeth II, Alessandra Mary Windsor, and just got out of this Bentley, and Prince Philip came right behind her, and Brian Irvine, who was super famous, he said, good morning, your majesty, welcome to our fair city. Would you like to meet our American friends? And so she came over there, and this guy was like, they thought, what if we get to meet her? So they had tried to get a little bit prepared for it, and she just looked at them and said, so you're American then? And he said, yes, ma'am. He said, I didn't know if I should say, your majesty, I'm not officially like one of her subjects, but I said, yes, ma'am. And then his wife had some flowers and she curtsies and gave him some flowers. And then he looked down and his seven-year-old, like for lunch, they had gone to Burger King and his son had gotten like a Whopper and he got the little crown and he was just holding this crown. Like he was going to the queen for Queen Elizabeth to wear, you know, and he was just holding it and he was so serious. And this was like his little offering and she didn't look embarrassed. She didn't look thankful. She didn't look at him. She completely ignored him and just walked by. And he was a little bit brokenhearted. And his wife was a little bit mad. She said, she's just somebody's grandmother. She could have taken it. But, it, you know, but he did it because it was like, this is my chance. The queen is passing by. But so in, in Luke chapter 8, there was this point where, so biblical scholars, um, they'll tell us, like, if you take the time when Jesus left his carpenter shop for the last time to begin the mission that he came to earth to do, it was about three years. And biblical scholars will often categorize them as the first year was the year of, of obscurity, like where Jesus was pretty quiet and there were people quietly following him and 
most of the Gospels, three Gospels, don't even talk about it. Only the Gospel of John talks about that time. It was that from chapter one to chapter five, which is not even in the other ones. And then chapter, but that was the year of obscurity. And then Mark in chapter one begins in what's called the year of popularity. And that's when Jesus was like super popular. And thousands and thousands of people were following him everywhere he went. And a lot of that was in Galilee. And his headquarters was in Capernaum. And then the third year was the year of opposition when people in power structures became more and more opposed to Jesus because they felt more and more threatened by him. And then the end. And so this was in the year of popularity. And so Jesus had left Capernaum, which was kind of his headquarters and kind of used Peter's house as his headquarters to do a thing. And then he was coming back and everybody was like, he's back everyone, he's back everyone. So like thousands of people were in the streets of Capernaum just to get like super close to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the in my mind, like the crowd just kind of split because there was somebody that was super important whose name was Jairus and he needed Jesus super bad because his 12 year old daughter was really really sick and they didn't even they didn't know if she was going to make it and you know whether she was even going to survive, there's a place in, if you go up Porter's Creek Trail, like if you go in the Greenbrier entrance into the Smoky Mountains over there by Cosby and um, to the end of it, there's a trail card called Porter's Creek Trail and about a half a mile up that trail, there's a cemetery called the Owenby Cemetery, the Owenby Whaley Cemetery. There's about 30 people buried there from 1895 to about 1920 and there are about eight Babies and kids, you know. And I just think about this. You know, I think about like when the ghost of Christmas future took Scrooge to, to the Cratchit house after Tiny Tim was gone and Bob Cratchit came in and said, my little child. And he just wept, you know. So this guy's like, I'm going to lose my baby. So the crowd looked like just parted because Jesus was passing. This is my chance. Jesus is passing by. This is my only chance. This was his moment to learn to be submissive, which was new for him. I mean, Jesus, he was on the board of the directors of the synagogue. Jesus said in Matthew 23, don't seek those positions. Like don't seek to be important people in the synagogue, but I mean, I don't know if you get those positions without wanting it. And I think he had probably wanted it. It's like when people become president of the United States because they want to be. The only president of the United States, in my opinion, that did not want to be president of the United States was Chester A. Arthur. Because when James Garfield finally died, they found him up in his bedroom weeping. He was like, his, he was the vice president. And he was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be. But normally they do want to, you know. And so he had wanted to be this important person. But then this was his chance. And he found himself, I mean, he had a 12-year-old. People got married really young. He was probably, he was probably maybe 30. And then he found himself face to face with another person much poorer than him who was about 30 and he was going to have to bow down to him, like bow down at his feet, like in front of, of everyone. But it was his chance, it was his only chance. And he said, could you please 
come to my house. I, we don't have any time. We have got to go. Could you please come and help me? And Jesus began to go. It said the crowd was so, Luke said the crowd was so, there were so many people there. They were like choking them. Mark said they were pressing in on them, just squeezing them. But they were going. And there was a woman in that crowd who should not have been there. It was illegal for her to be there. And the reason is because for as long as Jairus's child had been in the world, she had been excluded from the world because she had a problem of, it was menstrual bleeding, but it had not stopped for 12 years. And she was tired, she was anemic, she was weary, she was down, downhearted. She was disheartened. She was alone. If she had ever been engaged or married, that was over. She, she couldn't go to the synagogue and ask people to pray for her because she wasn't allowed to. She, th three times a year, everybody in Capernaum packed up and loaded up everything that they needed for a national camping fest when they would go onto the three festivals in Jerusalem and everybody would go and she couldn't go. And when the last people were leaving town, I can just see her in my mind in the middle of the street, standing there watching them go. Capernaum became a ghost town and she was the ghost. But this was her chance. Jesus was passing by. She was, she, this was her only opportunity. If Jairus had to learn to be submissive, she was going to have to learn to be assertive and say, I need what I need and I'm going to go for it, even though it was the worst moment because he had gotten there first. And he was, he was the person who picked who prayed in the synagogue. She couldn't even go to the synagogue. She didn't know if they ever prayed for her there. His situation was a matter of life and death. Hers, she would have continued to muddle along in her perpetual misery. His was his only child. She wasn't anybody's only anything. But it was her chance, and this was her moment, and she reached out and touched him. And as the King James Version says, straight away, the fountain of her blood dried up. And Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And Jairus said, no, what? Who cares? Who cares who touched you? I was here first. This was, this is my chance. I have someone who hasn't touched you yet that I need you to touch her. I don't care who touched you. And the woman said, no, what? I don't want any attention. I've been rejected by these people for 12 years. If they know that I impeded the most important person in this city, they're all going to hate me. And Jesus said, but who touched me? And she thought, why are you trying to shame me? This is so embarrassing and so awkward. And I just feel like you're calling me out when you have a problem. And you've waited a long time for the possibility of help. It's difficult to believe that Jesus cares about you. And the reason that he called her out was because her problem 
was personal, it was embarrassing, it was private, and it was awkward. And whether or not she felt it in this moment, he knew that she was complete, that he had completely and totally healed her. And he wanted everyone to know that she was clean and she was whole and she was healed. And he said, daughter, this is the only person that Jesus ever called daughter in the gospels. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. And she realized even though she had had to wait a long time and it's difficult to believe that Jesus cares about you when you waited a long time, that he loved her more than she ever dreamed. And Silas is like, daughter, daughter, I have a daughter and I was here first. The only thing I don't have is I don't have any time and we have to go. And then somebody said, don't bother him. It's too late. She's dead. And Jesus said, Jairus, look at me, look at me. Only believe when you have a problem that has lasted a long time. It's difficult to believe that Jesus cares. But if you have a problem and you have no time to solve it, it's difficult to believe that Jesus can help you. And now it's too late. And Jesus said, only believe. And Jairus had no idea that Jesus was going to go into his home, take his daughter by the hand, say, Talitha, kum, and call her back, not from sickness, but from the dead. And that he was, more, Jesus, he, he, because he had no time, it was difficult to believe that Jesus could help him. And he realized that he is more powerful than I ever dreamed. What if Jesus was passing by right now? Like he's passing by outside. What if he was passing by? Don't you have something that you're like, I would run out there. I would run over people to get out. This would be my chance. This is my chance. Jesus is passing by. And if you have a problem this morning and you've had it for a long time, you might think it's difficult to believe that Jesus would care about you. Or if you have a problem that is extremely urgent and you have a deadline, it might be difficult to believe that Jesus can help you. But... It should be less difficult for us than it was for them because we know things that they didn't know. We know, we know, we know that Jesus cares about us. I mean, in ways that she didn't know. I mean, we know that he died, that he died for me. Like he, Jesus died for you. He died that torturous death out of love for you. And he did it for you. Like he did it, he did it for, he did it for me. Like Beethoven, I mean, Beethoven, Beethoven wrote his third symphony and he dedicated it to Napoleon. He did it for Napoleon until Napoleon wound up being such a jerk that he changed it. And he did it for a guy named Prince Franz Joseph Lipkinski. All I know is he didn't do it for me. 
Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. He didn't do it for me. He did it for money, and I think he made a lot of it. When they landed on the moon, when the first people landed on the moon, they didn't do that for me. They, un they waved a flag, I think it was a flag of America. It wasn't a flag that said, we did this for you, Tommy. We love you, buddy. They didn't, you know, but when you see a crucifix on somebody's, like Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. But he said, I really did this for my friends. Paul said, he said, Jesus is the one who loved me and he gave himself for me. He did it for me. And when you see a crucifix on somebody's wall, you can look at it and know he did that for me. He, when, when, when you see a cross around someone's neck, you should remind you, he did that for me. He did it for the world, but he did it for me. And you can say, he did that for me. When you see someone cross themselves before they go into to a game or a match or before they go into a surgery, it should remind you, he, he did that for me. Does he care about me? Yes, I've had this problem a long time, but I know he cares about me. And he's risen from the dead and all authority is given to him in heaven and on earth. And I don't need to doubt whether or not he's powerful. If he was passing by, I would know he cares and I know he's powerful, but I've missed that chance. He's not walking around here anymore. I've missed the chance of Jesus passing by and knowing that it was my chance and I could go out and either grab him or fall in front of him. We don't have that anymore. It's so much better that we don't. Jesus said, I've been reading through John 15 and 16 with my buddies out at the prison. And in chapter 16, Jesus said, it's so good that I'm going away because y'all keep asking me stuff, asking me for stuff. You're not going to ask me for stuff anymore. I'm going, actually, I'm go whether or not they understood this, I'm, go I'm going to heaven and you're going to be able to talk. You've, you've never really asked God the Father for anything. You don't really talk to him that way. You're going to be able to talk to him like you talk to me. I'm going to there. So they had this thing where the, um, they had a lot of national festivals. And um, their festivals were to remind them of things that happened, like ours, like Christmas and Fourth of July and stuff. But they had one holy day that wasn't that way. They had one holy day where something had to happen. And if it didn't happen, they were all in big trouble. And it was in the temple, which was a three, was a live action diorama of like heaven. And there was a place where God, I mean, they knew he didn't live in there, but it was like, let's say God lived in there. Nobody could go in there. And only one person could, because it was good, God is so holy and nobody could go in. And only one person could go in once a year to do a thing where he sprinkled blood in this complicated way. And he practiced it for two weeks. Because if I mess this up, I don't know what happens then. And it's the only time anybody could go. And it was the day, it was Yom Kippur, the day of covering, the day of atonement. And he would go in and do it. And then he would come right back out. But then what happened was when Jesus went into 
heaven, what he was saying was, it's like the song we sang, before the throne, my surety stands. Jesus, he opened that curtain wide open and he said, you can go straight into God the Father at any time and you could ask him for anything and you can talk to him about anything. And they were kind of like, well, I mean, that's a little, I mean, that idea that if you could, I mean, we've kind of learned that he's a little bit intimidating. And Jesus said, no, he's just like me. He is just, if you've, if you've seen me, you've seen him. If you like me, you're going to love him. He told a story one time about what God the Father was like, about a boy who had some, just who asked his dad for his inheritance, which my Arabic friends told me that just means I wish you were dead, because that's when you get it. I'd be better off if you were dead. And he gave him that money, and he went with wild friends, and he blew it and made a complete disaster of his life and he was going to die because he was eating pig food and he was like maybe if I go home I don't know what my dad will do maybe he'll kill me I'm dying if I stay here and he didn't know that his dad was waiting for him every single day and as soon as his dad saw him on the horizon he ran out of the house my friends told me Arab men don't run in our country it's undignified he didn't care he just ran he hurtled the, the hedges and like the servants were like wow I haven't seen him run like that in a long time and he's just yelling my son my son and as soon as he got there he just hugged him and kissing him and hugging him and kissing him. He had a little speech to give. He wouldn't let him give it. No penalty, no parole, no probation, just a party. But dad, I put $23,000 on your credit card. I don't care. I'll give you another one. And people say, this is not good parenting. This is not how you parent your kids. I don't know what to tell you. It's the heart of your dad. And you can talk to him about anything. And Paul said, you can just, every moment is your chance. And he's just waiting. And you can say it boldly. It says that we, it says in the book of Hebrews and in the book of Ephesians, you can say, you can just be so bold and tell him everything you want. And if you're struggling, you can tell him. And if you're having a hard time, you can tell him. And if you don't like the way he's doing things, you can tell him just knowing that he loves you and knowing that he's powerful. And every moment is your chance. And you can tell him everything. I was reading of this book by this guy and he was talking about, it was really a, a wonderful book that he wrote about prayer, but he was talking about, and he was saying that, that you can say God to tell God what's ever on your heart. And he said that his, um, his wife had had a, a really a rare neurological disease that was affecting her brain. And she had had a lot of surgeries on her brain and it was getting riskier and riskier. And she was going to have a surgery that was going to be extremely like risky for her life. And he was up there in the waiting room with his friends and his friend said, Lord, he was just praying and he said, if it's your time to take Sammy home, Sammy was this guy's wife. He said, please give Pete the strength to bear the unbearable. And then I, and I just prayed. I just stood up and said, no way, no way, God, over my dead body. If you're planning to take my wife from me, you're, if you're planning to take a mom away from her two little boys, you're going to have to fight me for her. And you're going to have to find somebody else to do your PR in the future because I quit. I'm not going to go around telling people you're good if you don't prove it to me right now. God, I don't care what your will is. Let me tell you what my will is. I want my wife to live. I want our boys to have their mom. And if her name is on some celestial planner that she's destined to die, I need you to fix it. And it's like, can you pray like that? Yeah. Yeah, you can really tell God. Sometimes, there are sometimes, in this case, he didn't say no. In that woman's case, he didn't say no. In Jairus's case, he didn't say no. He cares. 
He's powerful. You can tell him anything you want. He may say no. Peter said to him in Luke chapter five, Lord, get away from me. He said, no. James and John said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven on these people? He said, no. Martha said, Lord, may my sister help me? He said, no. You can ask for whatever you want. You may not get it. I remember a kid, he had just gotten his license and he had taken his dad's car and he had hit a fire hydrant and water was shooting up 45 feet in the air and he was sitting on the curbs and the cops were there and he just had his head in his hands and he was praying and he said, oh God, I pray this did not happen. I mean, you can, you can ask for whatever you want. You may not get it. That's why it's so important to find yourself where this woman was at the feet of Jesus. Really, last, Jairus did it better. He was at the feet of Jesus before he asked for what he needed, worshiping him and telling him every day, I believe you love me. I'm gonna have to ask you for some things. I may have to be prepared to hear no, but I worship you and I believe you love me and I believe you're powerful. That's why this is important, by the way. That's why it's important that you do this. Every week, at least once a week, that you come together with other people who worship Jesus the way you do, it helps you when you hear other people singing and saying, I believe you love me and I believe you're powerful. Because you can ask for whatever you want out of his love and power, he may tell you no. I re there was a woman and they were having to take their little son to, um, for a surgery, it was a dangerous surgery. And she and her husband, she said, before we go into this surgery, I'm going to have to say that I believe God is good. Because if I wait to decide that until after the results of what happens, I may put him on trial every single day. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've brought us to a place where we love you. We do, and um, we don't feel desperate. We don't feel that stuff too much, but um, you've brought us to a place where you've proven to us that you love us and you've proven to us that you're powerful and we worship you for that. And we, we, we're so, so thankful that you've opened the door and invited us to come in and that we could crawl on the lap of God the Father and said, Dad, I need this. Dad, I need that. Dad, I want this. Dad, I want that. And sometimes you say yes, and sometimes you say no. And we say, because we've learned to worship you, blessed be the name.
Bless me now 